Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. I love talking with people who dream big and work together to overcome systemic challenges and affect change. Today, I have the benefit of talking with two amazing women who work with Oregon STEM, an organization that supports the development of the next generation of innovators and leaders through statewide strategic leadership, collaboration, and alignment. Deb Mumhill is the executive director of Oregon STEM, and Kyle Ritchie Knoll is the president of Oregon STEM and the education and workforce policy director of Oregon Business Council. In this conversation, they both bring stories and examples of how their work throughout Oregon impacts students. We talk about data-driven decision-making, overcoming massive challenges to create a resilient education system for the future, collaborating with industry partners to help students prepare for careers, cutting-edge technology that uses data and generative AI tools to align students' aptitudes and interests with opportunities, and the power of career-connected learning. Special thanks to Leverance and Associates for their hospitality and providing a lovely space to record this conversation. Show notes for this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 766. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the short documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support of the show. Well, one of the questions that I love asking people, and I get the added bonus of having two people in front of me that get to answer this question, but it's about curiosity, because to me, the the foundation of work is curiosity. So in introducing yourselves, let's uh, maybe say who you are, the organization you work for, and what you are endlessly curious about. And Deb, we'll start with you. I'm a Deb Mum Hill. I'm the executive director for Oregon STEM. And I have just always been intrigued with how we can help youth um, just see how big the world is and how they can live purposefully in that world. You know, all of us were born with these gifts, and my adult children tease me because I love, uh, you know, Myers Briggs or mm. a Gallup Strength Finders <laughs> or a Disc Profile, and I made them all take them. They're like, stop, <laughs> mom. But even into my adult life, just figuring out what my strengths are. And once you start to have that awareness of what your natural gifts and aptitudes are, it makes sense. And so, me, Having many years of work, I can look back and say, this is why I loved and thrived in this job, because this played to my strengths. And this is where I should have been a good fit, but it was was not oxygen-giving or life-giving. It was fun, but just wasn't filling my soul. Um, And so I'm really intrigued and curious about how do we help uh, students and youth figure that out sooner, because we all have a huge list of gifts, you know, mm-hmm. just our strengths, our aptitudes, and then we have our interests and our passions. And working with them earlier mm-hmm. on helping them realize what those are so right. that we can then help uh, build pathways, because we really, really want to help these students get to this equitable prosperity promise that we've, we've made in Oregon. Cool. So you mentioned strength finders. Is there, do you have your top one in your head right now? Because you said what your lowest one was earlier. <laughs> and you're not supposed to know your lowest because then you focus on fixing those, but right, I'm okay exactly. with it. Um, I know my top five. Okay. Uh, they are strategic, 
activator, futurist, ideation, and then your fifth can always, so maximizer, mm-hmm. if I'm organizing systems, if I'm fundraising, I, I kind of lean to woo. Okay. Nice. I knew I liked you for a reason because I have several of those as my strengths. So ideation, uh, visionary or futurist and strategic. So, you know, we're going to have fun. And then Kyle will be the one to bring us back to reality. <laughs> Kyle, I have how not you? done that. So <laughs> I, I probably need to take the test. But I am Kyle Ritchie Newell. I am the Director of Education and Workforce Policy for the Oregon Business Council, which is a CEO roundtable that um, they come to our table to work on big issues facing the state. And I get to help them sort of navigate those related to talent and education. My first answer to this question about curiosity was that I'm endlessly curious about everything. Mm -hmm. I always ask the questions. I'm that person saying, well, why and Mm -hmm. how? And um, so thank heavens for that mighty little computer that we carry around (laughs) because I spend a lot of time looking at things. But as it relates to this conversation, I think the thing that I am so curious about is just how do we work together on Mm -hmm. these huge challenges that face us? I spend a lot of time convening tables, bringing people to partner on big issues, and I I see the power in that. We all have the same goals, typically, as it relates to issues, but we come at it with different backgrounds, different perspectives, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I'm endlessly thinking about how can we come together in ways that are really transformational, not just these transactions, but really think that your success is rooted in my success, and how can we make sure that we're working, you know, in the best interests in this case of young people. And um, there's just so much power there. When you are bringing together CEOs and you're having these roundtable conversations, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that are coming up right now in terms of talent, in terms of these big issues that we're societally facing? Because there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, that is such a great question. Certainly, there are industries or sectors in the state that are growing very quickly Mm -hmm. and have opportunities um, through federal investment, like the semiconductor industry, to grow exponentially in the next few years. And there are other industries as well in that growth mode. That's really about getting enough people. I think in Oregon, we have a challenge, too, to make sure that we are ensuring that Oregonians have access to these opportunities. So that means we need to look very differently about how we create those pathways, who we bring to the table to partner So this notion of sort of unlikely partners who come to the table to say, this is my perspective and this is how we Mm. can craft solutions that are going to make that work. And then, you know, true to all of this work around K-12 STEM education or STEAM education, it's really about our responsibility to provide experiences that prepare those young people to think about the future. Right. And to, you know, have the chance to really experience it, experiment, you know, really creating that awareness and inspiration because we've got big gaffes at every step along that process. And they seem to be getting wider and wider and mass, more massive mm-hmm. with every release of technology or new mm-hmm. <laughs> generative AI tool that comes out that just, you know, it's blows true. it all up, you know. When you start looking in the world of K-12 
at what point does Oregon STEAM become an organization to really address some of these K-12 issues? And Deb, I'll have you just kind of take that one. Yeah, sure. That's a big question that we've all been trying to figure out for a long time. Um, But at Oregon STEM, we created a strategic plan and we did a lot of listening sessions. We had over 3,000 points of input. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was almost a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really helped to define our strategic priorities and what we came up with into was we need awareness. We have to build awareness because STEM was a buzzword back in like 2000, like a decade ago. (laughs) And not that it's fallen off the table, but I think we maybe did ourselves a little bit of a disservice and we defined it very tightly to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And we can call it STEM, STEAM, sweater, stream, you know, writing, (laughs) reading, whatever, you know, it's, it's really in everything, you know, farming is STEM and, um, and art is STEM, everything, everyday life, sports, system. Everything we do has STEM. So um, an awareness campaign was one of those pillars that we came back and said, we need to build awareness of why this matters, because mm-hmm. you you mentioned it, that the jobs are changing exponentially. And we know that the jobs of the future, those in-demand high-wage jobs in Oregon, are going to require a really great, a strong STEM foundation and STEM proficiency. We also identified that we need system alignment. So mm-hmm. it's what really... What does that mean? System alignment, uh, P20, pre school all the way okay. to like to cradle to career basically oh, wow. so you know we run our institutions and they're they're incredible institutions with just amazingly dedicated teachers and school administrators but there's k-12 and then they have to figure out that jump to workforce or to community college or to mm-hmm. higher education and what right. that looks like so we're really focusing on system alignment and one of the things that we brought forward is data-driven decision making so measuring what matters and really helping the agencies look at Um, what other states are doing, how there's data that is being brought forward, how we can look at this data and start to aggregate it or disaggregate it and inform how we should be aligning Mm -hmm. as a system. And then um, the the fourth, because this really plays to where our STEM hubs um, sit, their their connective tissue in their region, the 13 that we have across the state, is building partnerships and then integrating them into this work. So that's how we started um, in this work. And so Kyle and I have just been partners in really looking at system alignment and build, mm-hmm. well, building awareness. And that's where our wonderful partners at Leverance come in of bringing STEM back to the, the conversation. Right. And I really struggle because I don't know if STEM is the word mm-hmm. innovation. You know, when we look at uh, Generation Z, they and beyond Generation Alpha, Generation Z, they're going to need to have just this really solid foundation in STEM. And STEM is really it's critical thinking, you know, it's problem solving, it's collaboration, it's creativity, and it's really having a level of confidence to be able to innovate, fail, Mm -hmm. collaborate with others, get feedback and try again. And so yes, we need a really strong foundation in science and math. Um, And so that's where the the K-12 piece comes in. Mm -hmm. But then we're also looking at how we can help the system think anew mm-hmm. about teaching. We, we have this tagline of learning reimagined, potential unleashed. And so we want to kind of lean into, and we have been, as when we set up the hubs eight years ago, was looking at uh, thinking about work-based learning, um, place-based, project-based learning, because we know students will lean into that. We know that they learn in that model mm-hmm. rather than kind of a, a lecture to test. And so that's been our <laughs> model from the get-go. So we've been really working with teacher PD models, but now we're really starting to build in some more career-connected learning. And I'll talk a little bit later about that, that and what we're doing. What I love about that, though, is that I 
identifies specific challenges as mm-hmm. it relates to, I think, education. I mean, if anyone has been connected to the world of education in any means beyond just their own schooling experience, I mean, the testing model that we live by is exactly opposite of how it works in the real world. And so it's just like, how do you lessen that gap between the test lecture to test and then innovate and fail and iterate yeah. via model? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk all the time that this generation is just, uh, they're amazing. They're, if, they, if we can engage them, they mm-hmm. are very, very connected and yeah. can become very, very powerful. What I love about them is they, they have this bend towards justice, right? And mm-hmm. so whether it's, you know, economic justice or climate justice, uh, geographic, immigration, racial hunger, whatever that is, they have that justice bend. And these are really, really, really big problems that they need to solve. And to step into them, you need an engineering framework. So if you've heard Mm -hmm. about human-centered design, Mm -hmm. that's really an engineering framework where it starts with empathy, right? You then look at it, you empathize with something that matters to you. And these students have a lot of concerns. Uh, We've had lots and lots of data that we've looked at of what their number one concern is, and climate is number one um, Mm -hmm. of today. Um, How do they... They empathize with that and look at what it's happening around them. And then how do you ideate, design, test it, build it, actually be able to build it, test it, and then iterate and kind of stay in that loop. Um, And we need students to really lean into that. Mm -hmm. But the thing that we really focus on in our STEM hubs is we have to teach the students how to do that, how to use that human-centered design, which has its foundations in engineering design um, to come in. And so those are some of the things that we're focusing on. Yeah, that's awesome. Kyle, when it comes to strategic alignment and working with industry partners, how do they see themselves fitting into this, you know, challenge of bringing a new model to education? I think that's the right question to ask. And I I failed to say in the beginning, I am the president of the Oregon STEM board. And so I work really closely with Deb on um, all the things about uh, setting up and bringing in the partners to Oregon STEM. And I've been doing this work now for more than a decade. And what's evolved over time, I think that Oregon's put many things in place that you know, I've built our hub network around the state. We have a STEM investment council that has created a STEM education plan. And really, I think we created Oregon STEM with the notion that we need to think about this as a whole ecosystem. Mm. It can't just be the employers pursuing their particular strategies, educators focusing in the classroom on their particular strategies related to foundational knowledge. Um, Instead, we needed to think much more holistically and come together. And I think that's that's the role we are playing at Oregon STEM about doing this connecting and um, convening and really Mm -hmm. thinking about that. So I know that employers come to it with this knowledge about what is needed in the workplace, what they value. And I think they're so eager to say, all right, educators, how, what role can I play to help? Um, 
they know what they need ultimately in terms of successful innovators in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, the, what Deb described a moment ago is really what they'll tell me they're looking for. Curious learners mm-hmm. is what I hear most often. So we're not talking about producing little worker robots, you know, that show <laughs> right. up and can we can plug them right in and they've got all the technical expertise. Certainly there are some jobs that require technical expertise, mm-hmm. but by and large, they want to play a role in helping young people become curious, creative, um, lifelong learners, know how to learn or mm-hmm. how to ask for help when they need to learn. And so I think you know they can communicate what happens at the workplace, the kinds of innovation they're doing, what are the trends, where are things going? It's moving so quickly that right. I think we're all eager to hear about that. And then ultimately, I think they want to partner with organizations like Oregon STEM, with educators in and out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that notion I talked about in the beginning of sort of everyone bringing their expertise to the table to figure it out. Yeah. Well, what I love about the the employer's kind of pathway is that they're firmly in two worlds. They're in the day and reality of bringing things to life, but they're also looking into the future mm-hmm. through their own strategic plans, through their own research and development. And, you know, <laughs> there's there's a sense of modeling that they have to do in order to show students this is this is what it takes today, but we don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow. That's and right. That's part of that. Maybe it's humility. Maybe it's just honesty. I think it's both. And I think, too, they also play an important role in kind of demystifying mm-hmm. a lot of these careers, especially in STEM-related careers, that individuals can think, oh, that is very technical. Mm-hmm. Or they'll think, oh, I have to put on a bunny suit and go and work in a manufacturing facility, and I don't really know what they do there. But there are so many hundreds of jobs in between. And so by sort of demystifying that, making it clear what happens in this job and what are the skills or the credentials we want you to come to us with and then what additional preparation will we help you with. And I think they're also beginning to just say, how do we look at this huge number of Oregonians Mm -hmm. who are underrepresented in the workplace and Mm -hmm. in, in the tech industry in particular? And how do we think very differently with partners about you know, getting more women, more um, students of color and rural students. How do we really think differently about bringing them in? Because they're very committed to that. It's important to their companies and to, you know, just the state's health, economic health overall. Yeah. Well, and I think you put a, a really clear picture on something just now where you said, can you see yourself in a STEM career, you know, and maybe the p- people who are out in rural, rural, rural areas, I can't say the word, um, maybe they don't see themselves, even though they are, you know, right. and so how do you start changing that story that kids tell themselves? It is such an important point. And I think that a lot of what we talk about in those early years is sort of that awareness gap, Mm -hmm. or we like to call it an inspiration gap. Mm. And so, you know, they just don't know about these careers. And Deb can talk more about some of the um, work that we've done to look at interests and aptitudes. But we know that our students have the aptitudes, but the interest is very low on a lot of 
STEM oriented mm-hmm. careers. And that's partly because they don't know about them. Maybe no one in their family has ever been in those careers. Yeah. Maybe there aren't employers in their communities that are in um, the traditional STEM fields. And so we have a lot of work to do to make certain. In fact, I think it's our responsibility and part of the responsibility of the education system with partners to mm-hmm. ensure that every student has that experience to explore future careers, to think about what they're interested in, to begin to do work around their aspirations. What are your aspirations? Mm. Recognizing those can change over time. (laughs) Certainly they probably did for all of us, but it's that work of being um, structured and disciplined Mm -hmm. and frankly equitable about that so that every student has the opportunity to do that kind of career exploration. Yeah. Deb, from your perspective, when it comes to telling new stories to students and helping them to see themselves in new ways, mm-hmm. uh, how is that a crucial part of your work with Oregon STEM? Mm, that's a really great question. And that's one of the areas that we're really focusing in on. And believe it or not, it falls under our data-driven decision-making, yes. measuring what matters. Because <laughs> um, as you said earlier, the the world is exponential in careers. You know, we mm-hmm. don't know what's in front of us. And AI is this whole new game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, somebody who works in it all day long can't keep up with it. But the beauty is we have generative AI. And there mm-hmm. are companies out there. They're called Career Connected Learning, CCL, software platforms that are doing this work brilliantly. <laughs> and so there's only one um, that we, uh, some real great visionaries in the department, Oregon Department of Education, and took some of the emergency relief funds and beta tested it. It's called U-Science Bright Paths. And it's the only career-connected learning software platform that uses a deep, deep science algorithm um, based in science algorithm that looks at your aptitudes. And that's this is the first time ever in the state of Oregon that we have a peek behind the curtain of what emerging talent looks like based on data. Wow. So a student's a 45-minute, you know, aptitude test. They take it in, um, in, in breaks, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. 20 minutes in the English class, the math class might then, you know, put another 20 minutes onto it. And and then they, they have this profile. It's kind of like a LinkedIn profile that's not quite built for them. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it goes through the aptitudes. And at the same time, through these tests, it's asking the students, and what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. And so that algorithm starts to bring the two together. Mm-hmm. And then they can look at and it. It'll prop up this profile and say, you really fit in these. First of all, congratulations. You are amazing. <laughs> you know, It just right. really builds confidence. Yeah. And these kids, all of a sudden, the teachers are so excited about it because you know, their head comes up and their shoulders mm-hmm. go back and they're like, I never knew I was really good at computers and tech. Like I, they just have never seen themselves or healthcare or the advanced manufacturing. What is that? Mm-hmm. They tend to include interests in teaching, law enforcement and social work. That's where a lot of our rural or mm-hmm. our priority populations that we're really working to engage um, kind of land. And they've never thought about those like computers and tech job. And right. by the way, that is the number one aptitude out of 30,000 students, middle and high school students in Oregon, number one 
one wow. is computers and tech. Number two is healthcare. So yeah. we don't have a talent problem. We have an incredible opportunity sitting over here with the, this emerging talent. So that's data. And then where we kind of can get out of the way a little bit is when they have their sitting in there with their profile. And if they say it's computers and technology, you know, companies like an Intel or a um, Lamb Research, you know, or a Hewlett Packard, depending mm-hmm. on where their geographic location will start to populate and they can click on those profiles. They can look at job listings and the types of jobs. And there's law, you know, there's there's marketing, there's there's mm-hmm. creatives, there's graphic designers, there's communications. It's not all just coders and engineers that sit right. within there. <laughs> so they can start to explore those companies of what those look like. And for some of them, it might be like Lamb Research is this wonderful company that sits here in the metro area that supports the semiconductor field, but people don't know what they do. And so it's generative AI that is matching that. And of course, as Kyle said, they're they're young. They're going to change um, their mind and, and mm-hmm. as they start to explore something. So what we're asking them to do is just get in explore. We're working really hard with this data with our career tech ed programs in our high schools to say, you have all these. We know that we have 25 Latina girls here who, in your school who are incoming ninth graders who are showing high aptitudes and interest for healthcare. But there's no health science program of study um, in their high school. So that's how we're starting to look at this data. And so we have this awareness gap and, um, and exposure gap that we're looking or inspiration gap, as Kyle <laughs> said. Um, and now we're, we're closing what we call the access or opportunity gap. So we can come back to the schools and say, let us help you. And we're trying to build systems that will do that to make sure that those students will be able to reach their career aspiration and their potential. And it's okay if they take the freshman, you know, health science course and decide, mm-hmm. maybe I want to go the veterinary route. They, <laughs> with a click of a button, they can yeah. do that, and it will start to map them all the way to what career tech, what high school courses should you be taking? Chemistry, science, maybe an advanced calculus if you want to be, you know, in those those high high like degree or PhD engineering programs. And it'll it'll map them to a community college within 20 miles of their their high school mm-hmm. zip code all the way to post uh, secondary to doctorate. So it will map that plan out where we've had these huge gaps of K-12. What do you do? And it's 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 a big mountain to climb for some of these students, mm-hmm. especially a first generation college student who doesn't maybe have that support um, network. To uh, from community college to higher ed is even another big yeah. gap. You know, you're figuring out financial aid mm-hmm. and logistics and things like that. And so this generative AI software called U-Science Bright Paths flattens that horizon for them and gives them a sight line. And it talks about what career fairs and work-based learning and what informational interviews mm-hmm. or what companies you should maybe be engaging with. On the industry side, wow. um, it's like the it's like the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. It's the first time like you could look behind the curtain and yeah. they can see emerging talent right like can you imagine if you're running a company and you can see like you're wondering like how where's my computers and mm-hmm. tech or my healthcare, my future healthcare workers we can uh, the it's all de-identified because we're working with minors but the teachers know those students okay. by name but we can start to help industry really pinpoint using data and really be strategic about where we're going to prioritize and invest to make sure that number one students are meeting their potential and number two that we're really building this robust economic uh, uh, talent pool here Mm -hmm. in Oregon. What an amazing use of generative AI tools. And you can just see how as it develops and more opportunities are 
included in it, you know, then they can start including the employer piece. They can start including all these different paths for them to start, I think, seeing themselves in new ways. Because yes. I think there's, you're, you're very much into the data part of it, but there's also the emotional piece, mm -hmm. the, the, the self-esteem piece, the, you know, being able to have that resilience and, you know, strength that they need yeah. to go down that long journey because <laughs> education is a, you know, it's a marathon for all of us. Absolutely. The schools that are using new science bright paths, um, they are, you start with every teacher, everybody in the kitchen, the bus drivers, the, the maintenance staff, they all take it oh, for wow. themselves. So adults are taking it going, and they're having these epiphany moments. I had no idea yeah. like that. Those were my strengths. Um, and they start to identify and then they administer it to the students so that mm -hmm. everybody in that student's ecosystem understands and can have this conversation. Right. So the energy, the buzz in those middle schools and mm -hmm. high schools that are that have tested this, this software's platform are just just buzzing uh, with energy and excitement. And the students are really leaning into it. Yeah. Are there any stories as you've been doing this work, whether it's with that tool or with just in general, that just put a hop in your step and help you to feel like what you're doing really matters? <laughs> so many wonderful <laughs> stories. Yeah. yeah. I can think of one in particular that is related to careers. And um, this is it's a, an apprenticeship program which I think is really an excellent model that we need many more of in the high school mm -hmm. um, system. So this particular one was put together by a group of semiconductor companies in Hillsboro who worked with the city of Hillsboro, Portland Community College, and they quickly realized this issue that we're talking about. We need more high school students to know about these careers, to think about these careers. As they said it, you know, manufacturing in general and semiconductors in particular are largely invisible mm -hmm. in the education system. They're they're largely invisible in the minds of most <laughs> folks. You just Literally. don't think about those issues. Yeah. And so they worked together and created this uh, pre. Let, okay, I got to get it right. They created the Hillsboro Youth Apprenticeship Program. It's the first in the state. Wow. Um, a couple of semiconductor companies invited these um, apprentices to come in. They're 16 to 18 years old. They leave their high school, and um, this, the Hillsborough School District is doing incredibly innovative things around you know, career-connected learning, and this is one of them. But they're paid for this internship. They earn the industry credential and community college credit. Wow. And at the end of it, they are fully prepared to step in to those manufacturing positions in the company. They're also prepared to take that credential and move on to others. But these are high schoolers, mm -hmm. you know, and it took a concerted amount of effort from all of those partners to pull this together. It mm -hmm. had never been done. And it's just one that I think is really an example that we could continue to use in many different industries. Um, and I hope that we have more of them. It's, I think apprenticeship is just that, really that epitome of what we're talking about where they get to experience it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're paid for their efforts yes. because they're producing quality and value for the company. And at the end of it, they have a credential, you know, that they've earned that they can then move on to that next level. 
it's an incredible program that we can hope to like replicate and scale, but it does take a lot of, of people at the table to bring that together. Um, and so we're so glad that they've been able to accomplish that in Hillsboro. Um, from the U Science side, uh, I'm going to take you down to this tiny, tiny little town. It's Lost River School District. It's right. <laughs> it's like four miles from the California border, east of Klamath Falls. Mr. Rafael Hernandez is the CTE business teacher down there, and they have a number of Honduran um, immigrants. And so those teachers just pour so much into those students. And so he ran the youth science test with or the profiles with them, the aptitudes. And he said it was a new voice in their head mm-hmm. of what's possible in America. And he said it was amazing and helping them believe that because their parents are struggling and their parents are actually asking them to drop out of high school Mm -hmm. to go get a job at the dairy farm or Mm -hmm. in the potato warehouse because they have to pay for rent and food and fuel. And and these are real barriers for these families. And these teachers are working so hard to bring them and make sure that they stay. So they're using that you science to say, look at your potential and you have opportunity in America. And so what we have then done at Oregon STEM is um, we wrote for this, this grant it's called the Catalyze Challenge. And it's a bunch of large funders like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Walton Family Foundation and the Arnold Trust. And um, we were awarded half a million dollars a year, yeah, a year ago to, to connect education to career. And it's an uh, initiative we named Spark Oregon based off of mm-hmm. this Spark Lab that was set up by one of our hub directors down in Eugene. And it's an earn-to-learn model. So it's a full wraparound. So it starts with youth science so that mm-hmm. we make sure the student voice and choice, you know, their passion, their culture is represented into it. And then the hubs, the STEM hubs go out and find partners, industry partners who are willing to hire these students. Students, but we preload it where we just don't throw them, you know, into an experience where maybe they feel overwhelmed, and especially a first, you know, first American coming, a student mm-hmm. coming here. So we do a lot of training with them, not only the soft skills of how to show up on time and you know mm-hmm. and, and ask good questions, but some technical skills depending on who that partner, industry partner is. Um, but we're using that U Science aptitude to match that, um, and then we're we're doing wraparound services. So if they need transportation, if we need to pay for a closed you know, steel-toed boots and a hard hat and safety mm-hmm. equipment. If we need to pay for childcare, and so many times the childcare is not for their own children, it's for their younger siblings. Mm-hmm. So we take care of that issue, and we're working with services within the community and within the school. And then they're paid for this. So we're paying them, just as Kyle said, in the apprenticeship program, so important to, to remove any barrier mm-hmm. so that they can get this industry-level internship um, rather than keep that minimum wage job just to help put food in, um, on the table and, and gas in the gas tank. Right. So um, that's where we're just seeing um, some incredible uh, transformation. But you science is it, we needed that to, to cast a new voice in mm-hmm. these students' heads of what their potential is and how we're going to help you um, get to that aspiration and to reach your potential. When it comes to that new voice, that's intriguing to me because mm-hmm. it's speaks to, I think, the challenge of any media is that it is a voice that is very powerful in all of our heads, whether it's a child or an adult. How does that new voice speak to the parents about their kids' potential? Because if they're, if they're like pushing them to drop out and get a medium, um, well, you know, a minimum wage job, that's a, that's a voice, a story that they're holding on to of what they need. So 
that seems like there's some tension or a gap there initially. Yeah, I think that's where that Spark Oregon, where Catalyze Challenge came in and, and partnered with us. I think that's where we're modeling okay. for the parents. Um, and we have the the hubs are amazing at this, but there's <laughs> they have emails that go out to the students and they're translated into a couple different languages. They nice. have emails that the student then forwards to the parents and it helps explain to the parent what they're doing. Oh, cool. um, and so what we're hoping to do is elevate that experience. And it's it's tricky in places like Lost River where mm-hmm. it's agriculture, right? You're yeah. You're almost into the the eastern, um, you know, desert areas of Oregon. And so we have to get really, really creative of how we bring them into that space. But it's a model. It's modeling with some communication to the parents. Now, other students, um, it's it's fascinating because we're we're really trying to build career awareness in middle school so that we can get to readiness where it's free to do all this career exploration through career tech ed programs and and other coursework um, and after school programs. But um, teachers, math teachers and English teachers in these middle schools are fighting over, hey, I want to do the youth science piece because <laughs> these kids are really coming alive around it. But the English teachers are making them research projects. So they take their youth science aptitude test and then they assign a research. They'll take the top three aptitudes and interests that you have and go research those jobs. And they write a paper nice. and they give a speech about what they're you – know, so, mm-hmm. so, just through that work of the English department and, and language arts, um, I would assume, I don't know for sure, but I would assume the parents are, that the students are so excited about it that these are dinner table conversations. I think seeing your kids come alive mm-hmm. is what helps the parents kind of okay, come good. alive too. Yeah. And I know a lot of our STEM hubs do a lot of that family programming, you know, so they'll mm-hmm. invite the whole family to come in and learn about computer science or to work on a design challenge. Because to your point, you know, th- these fields and these careers are new to many of them as well. Mm-hmm. And so being able to actually inspire them, you know, to engage in that work and and make sure that their student is also exploring it, I think is really important. Um, so they're doing a lot of work in that respect. And I know that I've been engaged in a number of efforts that the Department of Ed has looked at. What does the community want across the Mm. state? And I was always very heartened by the fact that parents will say they want this career preparation for their children. They want them to have opportunities to explore and to really be prepared for Mm -hmm. that. So I think families readily accept opportunities to learn more about this and engage their Mm -hmm. students in that work. Yeah, it sounds like with the STEM hubs, then it's really important to build that relationship so that they're not doing it on their own. Because without it, it sounds like they're doing everything on their own and you make really poor decisions when you're doing anything by yourself. Yeah, that's right. And the way that the hubs are structured, you know, they're really a collective impact table. So they're inviting in organizations that have that direct access to families. They're inviting in education you know, higher ed, et cetera. So they've got strong partners that they work with to reach the families and the students. When you were planning Oregon STEM, how did you kind of stumble upon this hub model in terms of having these communities that can help in different areas? So when Oregon began to get very serious about STEM education, a little more than a decade ago, um, there was a task force created by the legislature. That task force identified the need for um, a STEM education plan, a STEM investment council that would really advise the governor and 
and um, the Department of Ed, you know, about STEM education, what the industry needs were. And then that group also recommended this regional STEM hub structure that would allow that collective um, strategy at each community level. Mm -hmm. So if we had a statewide education plan, it's these hubs that engage folks locally in response to the regional economy, et cetera. And um, that's how it came to be. And I think that we're a little unique in Oregon in that it's at the statewide level. Mm -hmm. There are many examples where there are regional hubs. So you'll have a museum working with that particular school district in an area. But Oregon gained some attention because of our commitment to do this statewide. And about four years ago, in fact, we were called out by an organization that looks at innovative education models across the country, FinEd. And they picked Oregon as, you know, the STEM Hub Network in particular, Mm -hmm. as an example Mm -hmm. of innovative community-based education work And I think it's worked really well because we've been able to have each of those partnership models in every community Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, trying to coordinate this in a in a way like a top down way across the state. Um, They're doing incredible work, very responsive to their local partners. You know, you've got everything from a mobile lab in Eastern Oregon, that's mm-hmm. incredible, to professional development for educators. They're doing um, all sorts of computer science-related mm-hmm. work, lots and lots of work around equity, mm-hmm. very often you know, professional development around STEM equity. And so I think they are really such an important part of the strategy because they're connecting in each community, each region across the state to try to make that vision we have outlined in the education plan really mm-hmm. come to life. Yeah, that's wonderful too, because, you know, oftentimes people focus on one area over the entire state. And mm-hmm. so everything starts looking and feeling like that one area, like, oh, everything's going to look like Portland. You know, as opposed to Oregon is a very large state with very diverse, you know, um, communities. And so having that state based model is fantastic. And I think you probably see a lot more buy in than from uh, different communities. I think that's right. And, you know, they're each very proud of their relationships that they have there. And I think um, the other thing that we've seen, which has been so valuable, is there is so much learning exchanged Mm -hmm. among these hubs. So you have the rural hubs talking about their unique challenges, you know, and you'll have the urban hubs that are working on very different issues, but they're able to really share all of that knowledge across the network. Um, Oregon STEM has been, it was conceived of to really come alongside the hubs. I think the work that we can do to support them in resource development, for instance, in identifying a statewide strategic plan, and really it's our job to sort of hold that vision that Mm -hmm. we all share and try to bring that to life and support them in being able to do that in their own regions. So we can look at resource development, this awareness building and strategic planning. Those are things that are difficult for any one of them to do on their own. And we hope that Oregon STEM can um, step in and really support them. I love that. The only thing I would add to that is 
you know, sometimes we, we look at and we're in Oregon and we're like, we're looking at system level shifts and what we can improve and change. And then you look up at the rest of the nation and we realize, you know, you won the award um, a few, to be recognized for what we're doing. And um, I get this incredible opportunity to go to South by Southwest in, oh, uh, next weekend. Um, nice. Where all the, you know, this is where all the cool kids go, but there's <laughs> South by Southwest Ed. It's the four days prior um, that we were invited to as part of our Catalyze Challenge um, partnership. And, you know, you, when you go to a conference, you can see who all the attendees mm-hmm. are. And I'd say 20% are large funders. We're talking the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. like 30 people from their wow. organization and the Walton family and the Jeff Rakes. And, the, you know, it's the list goes on and on because these are philanthropists who are really trying to help figure out how can we shift education and and somebody who I've been fundraising for nonprofits for 20 some years and and somebody said you know who was very wealthy said Deb it's really easy to give money away when you're wealthy it's hard to give it away and know that the needle is going to move and so these philanthropists we have a whole two hour reception just as us, us catalyze uh, you know challenge awardees to inform them of the work that we're doing and to help them understand and so we forget that Oregon is one of the few states that has through the STEM hub network has this state statewide initiative that's really focused on K-12 workforce development through inspiration and mm-hmm. and access and opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be a great, wow. it's going to be a fun, fun uh, five days down yeah. in Austin. And then we get to table um, and talk about like what Oregon STEM mm-hmm. is doing and, and specifically our Spark Oregon Earn to Learn model um, that is really just sitting in our rural hubs at this point. Yeah. So one of the things we, you know, we've talked a lot about how this work impacts students, mm-hmm. but how has it impacted you? Because that's part of, I think, what we need to do as adults is model how things have impacted us, how it, it has changed how we think about things. So how has this work affected your own career, your own life? I have been in youth development for 26 years and STEM now for 17 years. Working with youth is my oxygen. I, but that strategic strength keeps pulling me back to systems level, you know, systems level. But the oxygen is looking at, at just the potential. And my first um, foray into nonprofits was working at a, a rescue mission in oh, inner wow. city Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, the, and I was on the side with the women and the children. And wow. I would take the 60 to 100 children every night, uh, bringing other community-based organizations into play and just looking at these children and saying, how how can we help you break out of this cycle of poverty? Because there was many, many, many barriers that were sitting with, you know, in front of those children. And so that's where my heart work started. And I've been so fortunate to get to work for nonprofits for 26 years. But as you get into now, we were kind of day-to-day survival in that first mode. And now we're casting this future vision of what's possible for you and what your potential is and having this aptitude side that just, again, is, is, is those aha moments for these mm-hmm. students and for us adults who are working with them saying, if you haven't, you know, if you have a love and want to help people in healthcare, we're going to help you get there. And so for me, I feel like um, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the, I'm on the down arc of my career at this point. And this just feels like this has been the missing piece of not mm. only inspiring them, but making sure that the system is there to support them, to give them opportunities for, you know, equitable prosperity, for the ability to reach their own potential and their own aspiration. And we're getting really 
I think we're getting really, really close. There's been such good synergy and conversations that are happening in the state, thanks to Kyle, who's been laying this foundational <laughs> groundwork for so many years. Well, now you know why we hired Deb into this position as the executive director, because that hard and that commitment. Um, And, you know, I think my answer is probably very similar. I think I've been in this work for a very long time, largely representing the interests of the employers, but had the privilege to really help kind of bring them along and Mm -hmm. understand the role that they can play in making change. But really what I learned in that process is how incredibly satisfying it is to connect young people to opportunity. And, you know, every single child is curious. Every single child has endless gifts, curiosity, creativity, and very very few of them get connected to opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, I was privileged enough to be in that in that position. I've raised children and now grandchildren that I know also have those opportunities. And so for me, it's very personal. I want to make it available for every young person mm-hmm. and not have the rural child as the exception. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this one child from this small community and look what they've done. It shouldn't be that way. We have a responsibility, and I view it very much as a responsibility to prepare all students, all young Mm -hmm. people, um, for the kinds of future that they're interested in. So um, I also take it very seriously. It's really rewarding. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really rewarding work. And to see those young people come alive when mm-hmm. they get the opportunities to do this. And it's fun to follow some of them that I've met through the years and just see the incredible things that they are doing now and yeah. just how happy they are in these roles. I'm so glad that both of you have this view of just doing these massive visions and dreams and bringing them to life. Cause I think we need more people who are invested in that work and, can actually see the path to making it happen. Like it's almost like you're, you're creating the model for the entire country with what you're doing. It sounds like. That would be wonderful if we could do that. And you're right. The systems change is really hard. Mm -hmm. Systems are really designed to revert to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I had a funder one time tell me as because we do a lot of the systems level work at the Oregon Business Council and he said we're funding you to do that work I love it I'd also like a little bit of that incremental work because he said <laughs> sometimes the status quo cops don't notice the little incremental work that you're doing and that can ca- add up to big systems change yeah. so I always think about that wisdom he shared because I think you need both mm-hmm. But there's just so much that needs to be done. The system that we have in education was designed for a different time, a different economy. It was designed with entirely different goals Mm -hmm. and was intended to sort out. These are the very few that will move on to the higher levels. These are not capable, and we're going to, you know, educate them in a different way. That is fundamentally wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think this work is hard, um, but it can be done. And there are all kinds of change makers in the system, Mm -hmm. you know, on the outside within Mm -hmm. industry. And that's what I get excited about is trying to bring those change makers together and work on these big issues. 
Yeah. Well, as we near our time, as we wrap up our time, that's a better way to say that. Uh, is there a bit of wisdom you would like to leave with the listener right now? As we enter this just ever-changing landscape of careers, and as we're working on helping to change this education system to be a little bit more, you know, place-based, project-based learning, I think we just have to continue to remember what this generation is stepping into. So we have these systems that have been in place for a long time, but jobs are changing, and the process to get to those jobs are changing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think our role, we have to step back because we, we have knowledge in our pocket, right? With yeah. these, all this technology that's sitting there. So, you know, our role is not to just teach them subject matter, right? But to remember that we have to ignite that curiosity, that we have to nurture that creativity. Um, and then we just have to empower them to see endless possibilities within themselves and the world around them. And I think if we foster this culture of this lifelong learning and resilience, I think we can help and confidence, building confidence. Mm, and to yeah. do that, you have to model it. You can't learn it from a, a whiteboard or a textbook. You have to practice it. <laughs> yes. I mean, we know that, right? As adults, right. <laughs> we have to practice this. And so how can we all think anew mm-hmm. about how we're really going to build these foundational, you know, the knowledge skills? Yes, absolutely. But also just that confidence to be able to be able to recreate and learn, lean into the problems and innovate. So... How do we do this as systems and adults? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) big question. And I would just say the most important thing we can do is put the learner at the center of all of this work we're trying to do. It's really easy to put companies or put agencies, Mm -hmm. you know, institutions at that center. But I think if we put the student there, then we understand what they need to succeed, what they need, what kind of supports they need, um, then we'll all be really focused on the right issues. And, you know, we know that there are some big challenges right now in education. It's been through so much Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. I was just so disheartened to hear that 38% of students are chronically absent Mm -hmm. and they are opting not to come to school for a variety of reasons. You know, there are all sorts of reasons that sometimes are related to family needs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it also says to me that we're missing the boat. We have not created a place where they feel they belong. We've not created a place where their needs are supported And I don't know that we're providing the kind of rich, creative, student-centered education that will bring them back. Mm. So there's a lot to be done in this Mm -hmm. statement I just made. But I just think if we keep them at the center Mm -hmm. and foremost try to understand what they need and what will ignite that passion, then we'll we'll have a chance at, at changing this system. That's amazing. Can I add a data point because I'm Please. a data nerd and I don't know where that, I think it came from all my years in robotics <laughs> and working with tech companies. Like, where's the data for what we're, are we making an impact? The most heartbreaking data that I read in the last five months came from Gallup Research. And it was a research project hired for the, by the entire state of, of New Hampshire. And it aligned with the CDC data. But the data showed that 58% of females in middle school and high school and 44% of males feel hopeless uh, two weeks every day for two weeks consecutively Mm. within a 12-month period. 
58% of our girls are feeling hopeless mm-hmm. and 44% of the boys. Mm-hmm. And that's heartbreaking. But the, the, the silver lining in this research was the power of career-connected learning. And what Kyle was saying of, of coming back and saying, what is your vision? What is your passion? And there's a lot that goes into career-connected learning. But if we could get to eight conversations a year with our middle schools and high schoolers, the hope and the engagement. So you started with hope doubled. And then the engagement of coming to school because they have a vision that they're holding on to Mm -hmm. that we in the system helped cast for them is redeeming. And so it just makes it brings back to us that every day that this is why we do this work. And it's not because we're going to just have 431,000 STEM jobs come online by 2031. (laughs) It's it's the social emotional. And you, you started the conversation of how do we just look at these incredible just we we keep calling them emerging talent but they're Mm -hmm. brilliant little human beings and they're working in a system where they're not finding maybe possibly and and they've come through a couple of really i mean covid was so hard Mm -hmm. you know on just all of us and so we feel if we can elevate that career connected learning and start talking to them as a unique individual what are your passions did you know you're really great at this and start to cast that that work forward hope engagement fulfillment it's just it's all going to come full circle beautiful well i am a perpetual reader and so i'm constantly asking people what books they're reading right now uh is there a book or a podcast or a resource that is just blowing your mind right now well i've been reading a lot of fiction lately so uh the book I recently devoured was Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. If you okay. haven't read it, it's amazing. I've heard about it. But the podcast that comes to mind is Sold a Story by the New York Times. Mm. And it's really about literacy education in this country mm-hmm. and how we have really failed mm. so many learners. And it's fascinating to read it, to read about the science of reading, which you're probably hearing a lot about. But more than anything, it sort of shows you how difficult this change is once it's entrenched, you know, once something is entrenched like a curriculum in a system. It's really fascinating. Well, I wish I, I, my husband just finished that book. And so that's, that's sitting on the coffee table. I think my daughter, my 30 year old daughter is going to grab it first and then it'll come back. But yeah, I wish I was more interesting, but street data is the book. (laughs) Yeah. So like, let's just stop looking at math scores, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not because these students can't learn it. Maybe there's other aspects. Maybe we're not teaching it correctly. Right. So it's just called street data. Love um, that. But my the podcast that I love, uh, besides this new uh, Getting Work to Work, <laughs> Chris, we're going to add, I'm adding that one to the Thank list. You. Yes, is Shifting Schools. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's really what they do. I think their tagline is they're driving towards unleashing educational evolution by co-creating transformative learning one shift at a time. So, it, and Kyle talked to this, it's those, those little incremental shifts, but shifting schools is really looking at project-based, place-based learning. They're looking at how we have always had these teacher PD models, and teachers are tired. They yeah. are exhausted, and they are they they work so hard every day that how can we use AI and AI in the classroom to replicate it? You know, to to duplicate, not replicate, duplicate teachers, and also for their own professional development. So. Shifting schools, um, and it comes out of Jeff Utech out of Seattle, and he nice. was a teacher who got a technology grant from the Gates Foundation, and he kind of stepped off his uh, his curriculum, and he made the world his platform, and it was really transformative, and now he's sharing that with others. 
That's amazing. Well, Deb and Kyle, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to coming to this lovely location to, to share your vision. But most importantly, I think your optimism, your enthusiasm, your passion for this work, because it's it's coming across so powerfully. And it's such a great model for myself, for hopefully for people listening to this that need that hit of inspiration, that hit of something to help them through the systems that maybe they're stuck in right now. Um, so thank you for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. As I mentioned in this conversation, I really appreciated getting to meet Deb and Kyle to hear their stories and witness their passion and enthusiasm for their work. I would encourage you to surround yourself with amazing innovators and change makers so that you too can ignite your own curiosity, nurture your creativity, and learn how your life and work can be a model for the emerging generations so that they can see what it means to be an ever-evolving, lifelong learner. Head to gwtw.co slash 766 for all the links to everything we talked about and to learn more about Oregon STEM. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.